ended up uh, beginning to go into a story of, about Balaam, and I didn't want to take the time to get into it and not be able to finish it, so I want to go there today in Numbers 22 to continue this series on where is my honor, and we're dealing with God as the Almighty and how he should be honored in that position. This might not, on the surface, seem to have a great deal to do with that, but the term Almighty is used, as I said, 57 times in the Bible, and it's used in this context as well. So I want to go in here and see what lesson there might be for us, and it might help us to have the kind of honor for God that we need to have as the Almighty One when we recognize some of the attitudes that were here. And I might add, before going there, that Balaam is mentioned several times in the New Testament and toward the end of the New Testament in terms of the end of the age in particular. Therefore, what happened in this story has a great deal to do with our lives today and the attitudes that we will uncover here are attitudes that would be in the New Testament church and particularly at the end of the age. So again, it doesn't matter where we go in the Bible, it seems to be from the book of Numbers way back in the Old Testament, always brought forward by God and was included here for examples to us upon whom the end of the ages or the end of the world would come. And we are that generation. Most of us here today are going to see the end of this age in our lifetime physically. Let's pick the story up in Numbers 22. Israel was at the verge of going into the Promised Land, and they were on the plains of Moab on the far side of Jordan. And the king of Moab was worried about the Israelites. The story of them being delivered from Egypt had come to them. Uh, down in verse 4 it says, And Moab said to the elders of Midian, Now shall this company look up all that are round about us, as the ox looks up the grass of the field. And Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of the Moabites at that time. Now he became worried and concerned about Israel. So he proceeded to try to solve his problem. Verse 5 gets into the story. He sent messengers, therefore, unto Balaam, the son of Beor, to Pethor, or Pethor, which is by the river of the land of the children of his people, to call him, saying, Behold, there is a people come out from Egypt. Behold, they cover the face of the earth, and they abide over against me. So there's lots of them. And here they are beside me. I'm worried, is the attitude and the concern here. So he sent to Balaam. Now, who was Balaam? Uh, let's turn for a moment back to Deuteronomy 23. And it's put here very concisely. Deuteronomy 23, and pick it up in verse 4. It's talking here about the Ammonite and the Moabite. Uh, and they would, should not enter into the congregation of the eternal, even to their tenth generation. And then he explains why, beginning in verse 4. Because they met you not with bread and with water in the way when you came forth out of Mitzrayim, 
And because they hired against you Balaam, the son of Beor, of Pethor, of Mesopotamia, to curse you. Nevertheless, the Eternal your God would not hearken to Balaam, but the Eternal your God turned the curse into a blessing to you because the Eternal your God loved you. Uh, well, wait a minute, that isn't the one I wanted. I was wanting the one... I guess, oh, Joshua 13, I think, is the one I wanted. But this one does serve to show in Deuteronomy that Balaam was hired to curse Israel. Uh, and that will come across in the story of Numbers, so I wanted to refer to it anyway. But let's go for a moment to Joshua 13. The story of Balaam is a little difficult, a little convoluted, because it seems he's a man mixed of good and evil. Uh, he's one way and then he's another way. So it's a little hard to follow that story, but we'll see here in Joshua 13, as well as in the New Testament, what God really thought of Balaam. Joshua 13, verse 22. Balaam also, the son of Beor, the soothsayer, did the children of Israel slay with the sword among them that were slain by them. So his ultimate end was to be slain by the people of Israel whom he sought to betray. And he was a son of a soothsayer, or one who worshipped false gods and was into demonism. So we know from there what God thinks of Balaam. And as we go through this story, keep that in mind. So now back to Numbers 22. Uh, here is his presentation to Balaam, Balak the king of, of Moab. Verse 6, Come now therefore, I pray you, curse me this people. So he felt that Balaam had certain powers. He was the son of and was himself a sorcerer, a magician, a demonic, Satan-worshipping individual. So they had use of those people, even as some of our modern-day presidents and their wives have gone to soothsayers, to charmers, to seances, to try to determine their course in the future. So there's nothing new under the sun today. Uh, some of our so-called leaders in this very nation have done the exact same thing that happened here, only this was a, a Gentile, a Moabite, who was enlisting one of this kind of people. Curse me this people, for they are too mighty for me. Peradventure I shall prevail, that we may smite them, and that I may drive them out of the land. For I would that he whom you blessed is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. So he felt Balaam had a certain amount of power, and I'm sure that Balaam had... Uh, used that power from time to time so that the king of Moab understood that here was a man of a certain amount of spiritual power. The kind of power to this king meant nothing. All he wanted was his problem to go away. So he was willing to go to anyone that he thought might help him. So he wanted a curse brought upon them. Verse 7, And the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the rewards of divination in their hand, and they came to Balaam and spoke to him the words of Balak. So 
To get Balaam to do this, the king offered him a reward, a monetary uh, reward, to curse Israel. A hired gun, if you will, uh, sent to cause destruction. Now, what we have here then is what? Satan pitted against God. If you boil it right down to the facts. Now, God can use people, and he can use evil people and righteous people. Remember, he referred to Nebuchadnezzar as his servant. He referred to Cyrus, whom he said didn't know him as his servant. So God is able to manipulate and use people for his purposes. And here we have a king, a Gentile king, who was in the or under the power of Satan, going to one who was a child of the devil and put him against the people of God. So it is a confrontation, really, between God and Satan, is it not, to see who is the strongest. And our subject today is the Almighty. So bear that in mind as we read this story. So he's calling on the powers of evil here. Verse 8, And he said to them, Lodge here this night, and I will bring you word again, as he turned and shall speak to me. And the princes of Moab <coughs> abode with Balaam. Now, this was a soothsayer, a Satan worshiper, if you will. Uh, so he wanted time. Remember, Daniel wanted time to pray. He wanted to go to the true God and find the right answer, whereas the uh, magicians of Egypt and of Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom and so on sought Satan, uh, Daniel sought God. Well, Balaam went to God, and this is a little confusing because sometimes it appears Balaam is going to Satan, and sometimes he's dealing with the true God. Is it possible for someone to try to walk down both sides of the fence, I ask you? Is it possible to sometimes try to go Satan's way because that might seem the natural, normal, human way, and at the same time give lip, can't speak today, give lip service to the true God? Is it possible to straddle the fence or try to do so? This is almost bringing it down to us then, isn't it, already? Do we ever do this? It's easy to condemn Balaam, but what if we find that in our own lives, in our own attitudes, sometimes we might have the same process occurring because there is a struggle in our lives between serving Satan and man and serving God. So I think that this is an object lesson for us in what we should do and how we should approach things. Okay? Uh, so the princes of Moab abode with Balaam. They stayed there that night while he sought an answer. Verse 9, And God came to Balaam and said, What men are these with you? So it appears that God himself, probably Christ in this case, Melchizedek, appeared to Balaam and said, Who are these men? And Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zipporah, king of Moab, has sent unto me, saying, Behold, there is a people come out of Egypt which covers the face of the earth. Come now, curse me them, 
Peradventure I shall be able to overcome them and drive them out. And God said to Balaam, You shall not go with them, you shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. Now was this his God, Satan, or was this the true God? I think this was the true God in this case, because he instructed Balaam not to try to curse Israel, because that would not be a wise thing to do. I have blessed them, don't you try to bring a curse upon them. We must be careful. Sometimes we get in attitudes whereby we would have negative thoughts toward those whom God might be using for his purposes, and we need to be careful of that. Whether it be a person of God and a, in a position of authority, like we used to in worldwide sometimes, get very negative, and there is something about that in the context of Balaam later on that we'll read. So we need to be careful. We have been dealing ourselves with an individual or two uh, that I think do not know God and have some strange ideas, but I think God is using them for a purpose. And it's very easy to get negative, but we had best be very careful. You know, it's easy to be critical. It's easy to be judgmental, even among ourselves, to ourselves. We should not compare ourselves among ourselves, for it is not wise. It's easy to criticize someone else's faults, but what about our own? Mercy is, as the sermonette brought out, a very weighty matter of the law. And it's easy to deal with some physical things, perhaps, uh, and criticize people about them, rather than having mercy and realizing each of us, every one of us, has our own problems but we do not like to spread about what our problems are. In fact, we're very protective about ours, are we not? Uh, we don't like to hear our problems brought up. In fact, we can get very irate about it if we hear that somebody might have mentioned one of our problems. But we find it very easy to talk about theirs. Now, do we love our neighbor as ourselves when we do that, or do we not? Attitudes are very, very important. So we need to be very, very careful that we do not curse or bring negative thoughts about someone that God might be using for his purposes, whether they're even in the church or not. And Balaam rose up in the morning and said to the princes of Balak, Get you into your land, for the Eternal refuses to give me leave to go with you. Now, the guy has a problem. He has his own god, Satan, and he's been hired and given money to bless God's people, Israel. And God came to him and said, Don't you do that. Now, he had a certain amount of fear of God, didn't he? He was concerned. He wasn't going to go against that advice he had just received from God and go ahead and curse Israel. So it is possible, isn't it, to be an emissary of Satan on one hand and yet have a certain amount of fear of God on the other hand. But maybe it wasn't enough fear of God. Let's move on. <clears throat> the princes of Moab rose up and they went to Balak and said, Balaam refuses to come with us, refuses to come curse them. 
And Balak sent yet again princes more and more honorable than they. So he had sent some men, and they weren't able to persuade him because Balaam was a little worried about God. And yet he wasn't really on God's side. <coughs> so this time he sent some men higher in his government, some more honorable people. Say, mate, you know, I'll, I'll send out the sergeant first, and if that doesn't work, I'll send the general. Maybe you'll listen then. Verse 16, And they came to Balaam and said to him, Thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, Let nothing, I pray you, hinder you from coming to me. For I will promote you to very great honor, and I will do whatsoever you say to me. Come, therefore, I pray you, curse me this people." Now, there is a world-ruling government coming. They're going to be worshipers of Satan, the devil. Yet they're going to have a certain fear of the other power, God's power, and of God's people. We see that from many scriptures, don't we? So can you see how this story begins to relate to what is going to happen again in the world? Because Satan is going to use men to try to curse God's people. What has happened before will happen again. So he is offered very great honor. And those who would destroy God's people in the end time are going to be offered very great honor. And the one who sets up the abomination in the temple, which kicks off the great tribulation, is going to receive great honor because they will have tried to come against God's people many times and a wall of fire will have been there to prevent that. But then this man breaks through and sets up that abomination in the temple. Don't you think he will receive great honor and glory because the whole world will be fighting against this little group of people who are the only ones on earth who stand against the beast and the beast's power and have not been able to be harmed. The rest, they will have been able to martyr, to imprison, and to treat however they want. And many of honor of the people of God will fall, as Daniel 11 says. But some they will not be able to touch. And when somebody is able to touch them, he will be given great honor. I will do whatsoever you say to me. Well, that's a king opening himself up because the king normally, his word goes on everything. They, Man, I'll do anything you say. The king of Moab was quite worried about these Israelites. Very, very much on his mind. He would go to any lengths to destroy them, to curse them. Verse 18, And Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, if Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the word of the eternal my God to do less or more. Isn't this an interesting statement? No matter what you give me, I will not go against my God, the eternal. He's even adopting God as his God in this story. Now, was he really? No. He was a sorcerer of Satan. 
and yet he's claiming allegiance to the true God before Balak. Now, was this a ploy, a two-faced attempt to extort even more money out of the king, to get his way, to play the true God against Satan and use God for his own purposes? Think back on the church a little bit and some of those who took God's people astray. Were they able to use the name of God and claim that he was their God while they kept the, the uh, doctrines of the devil? That's happened in our living memory. We saw it. We experienced it. There are those who say they are of God, but are not. And it says in the end time, there will come in false ministers claiming to worship the true God when really they don't. You have to try the spirits whether they truly are of God or not. Verse 19, I can't do less than the Lord my God. See, see how it could get confusing because this guy is playing like he worships God when truly he doesn't as it will turn out. Verse 19, Now therefore I pray you, tarry you also here this night, that I may know what the Eternal will say to me more. So he uses God's name again. And indeed, he had been talked to by God. How many here can claim that? None that I know of. God talked to you? Well, he did to Balaam. <laughs> That puts Balaam ahead of us in some ways, doesn't it? Directly talked to by God. And Balaam was using this to his advantage. Now, he wasn't ready to serve the eternal God, but he was willing to use his name. We use his name. How willing are we to truly serve him? Or do we serve ourselves, as Balaam did, and try to get the things we want, and yet at the same time, play church. There is the opportunity for hypocrisy in there in some ways, and it is very easy to become that way. Remember that the first part of sincere is sin, and we can very sincerely sin while we claim righteousness. It's an awful lot in this story. Verse 20, And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If the men come to call you, rise up and go with them. But yet the word which I shall say to you, you shall do. So Balaam was trying to use God, wasn't he? Now God is starting to turn this around and use Balaam. Can God use carnal, unconverted people for his purposes? Yes, he can. Nebuchadnezzar, Cyrus, even Balaam. So go with them. Maybe we can clear some of the difficulties and the confusion that seem to crop up. The commentaries say, well, Balaam was a mixture of good and evil. Well, maybe that's pushing it. I think it'll turn out he was more evil than good. 
but seemingly so in the story, unless you really understand what happened, and then read in the New Testament what God has to say about Balaam, then you get a pretty clear picture, and you realize part of this was straddling the fence and trying to use God for his own purposes. So God says, all right, you want to use me? I'll use you. Go ahead and go with them, but you better be careful you don't say anything I don't tell you to say. And Balaam rose up in the morning and saddled his ass and went with the princes of Moab. And God's anger was kindled because he went. And the angel of the eternal stood in the way for an adversary against him. Now he was riding upon his ass, and his two servants were with him. Now God had told him to go. Now why is God angry with him? God knew Balaam's attitude. He knew what Balaam was trying to do. What should Balaam have done if he was going to worship God as his God? He should have said, I repent. I'm sorry. I made a deal with Balak, and I was trying to curse your people Israel. I repent. I will not do this thing. I will not go. God baited him, didn't he? He said, all right, go with them, but only do what I say do. Now, Balaam should have used that as an opportunity to change his mind and say, I will not go. Because he knew in his own heart that he was going to go ahead and betray Israel, even though God had said, go ahead. So he was, again, trying to play God for his own purposes. And I do believe that is why God's anger was kindled. He gave him a chance to repent. All right, go ahead. But I wish you'd repent instead. Now, does God do that with us? You're free moral agents. You want to go that way? Go. But I'd rather you repent. Why will you die, O Israel, as he put it in another place? I love you. I want you to succeed. You're going to go that way? You're a free moral agent. Why will you die? So God's anger was kindled. And the ass saw the angel of the eternal standing in the way, and his sword drawn in his hand. The donkey could see what Balaam could not see. So God was angry with Balaam, but he at this point did not show himself to Balaam as he had done in talking with him before. God was going to make a point. Sometimes even an ass can see what you can't see. Anyway, the ass tried to turn aside and went into the field, and Balaam smote the ass to turn her into the way. We've got this rebellious donkey here. What am I going to do? So he whips it. And when the ass saw the angel of the eternal, she thrust herself under the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall, and he smote her again. So the poor donkey, you had to feel sorry for it because it sees the angel with a sword. It doesn't want to go there. It goes out in the field, and then it gets scared again and smashes his foot into the wall, and that really made Balaam angry. <coughs> Verse 26 
And the angel of the eternal went further and stood in a, backed off a ways and stood in a narrow place where was no way to turn either to the right hand or to the left. We can try to go our way. We can continue in the path we are seeking when things go bad or things go wrong and we don't understand, even as Balaam did not understand why his donkey wouldn't go like a donkey normally goes. We don't always understand the forces that are around us and what is happening. Now, instead of whipping up on a poor donkey, maybe we should stop and say, who is the donkey? Anyway, verse 27, And when the ass saw the angel of the eternal, she fell down under Balaam. She couldn't, didn't have anywhere else to go, so she just squatted. And Balaam's anger was kindled, and he smote the ass with a staff. I think Balaam was in a froth by this time. Then hauled out into the field, got the donkey back, then he had his foot smashed. That'll get to you, won't it? Because of this donkey. Then he gets in a narrow place and the thing just lays down on him. He was furious at this point, beside himself, truly angry, seeing red, if you will. Verse 28, And the Eternal opened the mouth of the ass, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have smitten me these three times? And Balaam said to the ass, Because you have mocked me, I would there were a sword in my hand, for now would I kill you. Now, you have to be pretty beside yourself if a donkey starts talking to you and you answer it. Things are getting pretty bad. You don't even realize that you're having a conversation with the donkey you've been riding. Do we lose track of reality at times? <laughs> what have I done to you? You mocked me. I'd kill you if I had a sword. And the ass said to Balaam, Am not I your ass upon which you have ridden ever since I was yours to this day? Did I ever have the attitude to do this to you? He said, No, you didn't. Still talking to him. This, this to me is just so funny. Then the Eternal opened the eyes of Balaam. Uh-oh. And he saw the angel of the Eternal standing in the way and his sword drawn in his hand and he bowed down his head and he fell flat on his face. In the presence of the true God, people fall on their face, even people like Balaam. It causes you to fall over under the power of God. There are many examples in the Bible where people were under the influence of Satan and they fell over backward. That is one clue as to what power you are facing, whether you fall forward or fall back. In this case, even Balaam fell forward. Scared him. Did it scare him enough? Now, God had said, go your way if that's what you want. And then God was angry. And he caused the circumstance to happen again, I think in mercy, to give Balaam a chance to say, hey, I've, all right, I'm beginning to get it here. If you can cause the donkey to talk to me, maybe you're trying to get something through. 
He'd fall down on his face in fear. Verse 32, And the angel of the eternal said to him, Wherefore have you smitten your ass these three times? Why did you do this? Behold, I went out to withstand you, because your way is perverse before me. He had encouraged him to go, hoped he would repent. He didn't, therefore God sent the angel, and God caused this very strange circumstance. Don't tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor. Even in a very serious situation, this is a strange and humorous, to me, story in retrospect. Probably wasn't really funny to Balaam at the time. Your way is perverse. He explained to him, your attitude is wrong. You're not doing what I want you to do. And the ass saw me and turned from me these three times. Unless she had turned from me, surely now also I had slain you and saved her alive. If she had just marched on, I would have slain you with a sword. I wasn't after the donkey. What has it done? You're the one with the problem, Balaam, not your donkey. And Balaam said to the angel of the eternal, I have sinned, for I knew not that you stood in the way against me. Now therefore, if it be please you, I will get me back again. So he begins to say, all right, if that's the way it's going to be, I'll do it. But did his, those are his words, but did his attitude change? Are we capable of saying, okay, God, whatever you say, I'll do it. But is our heart in it? Are we only complying because we think we have to? Or do we recognize who God is and give him the honor and the glory that he deserves and do it because... We worship and adore our Creator, the Almighty One of the universe. Or is it compliance in our carnal nature is at the same time saying, that's not what I want to do. I want to do what I want to do. Are we stiff-necked and rebellious or not? So, I think you'll see that he gave mock obedience here hypocritical obedience. All right, if you're going to kill me, I'll do what you say. All right, all right, I surrender. 35, And the angel of the eternal said to Balaam, Go with the men, but only the word that I shall speak to you, that you shall speak. So he said, I'm still willing to use you to speak, but you only better say what I have to say. And I know your attitude hasn't changed. I'm giving you a yet another warning, Balaam. Verse 36, And when Balak heard that Balaam was come, he went out to meet him to a city of Moab, which is in the border of Arnon, which is in the utmost coast. Now that tells you how desperate the king of Moab was, because normally you had to come to the king. This time the king came and met him part way. And Balak said to Balaam, Did I not earnestly send to you to call you? Wherefore came you not to me? Am I not able indeed to promote you to honor? Don't you think I can't give you the silver and the gold and the honor and everything that is in my kingdom to give? Balaam said to Balak, Lo, I am come to you 
Have I now any power at all to say anything? The word that God put in my mouth, that shall I speak. So it sounds like on the surface that Balaam is saying, all right, I'm not going to do what you want. I'm not going to do what you say. I'm going to serve the eternal God. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it, at that point? Is it real repentance? And Balaam went with Balak, and they came to Kirjath-Huzoth, or Huzoth, and Balak offered oxen and sheep, and sent to Balaam and to the princes that were with him. And it came to pass on the morrow that Balak took Balaam and brought him unto the high places of Baal, that he might see the utmost part of the people. So he took him way up on the high place where they worshipped, uh, where they worshipped Baal, so he could see the whole land below him as you can from a mountain. And Balaam said to Balak, Build me here seven altars, and prepare me here seven oxen and seven rams. Now he's telling Balak to set up a burnt offering here on the hills of Baal. And Balak did as Balaam had spoken, and Balak and Balaam offered on every altar a bullock and a ram. <clears throat> and Balaam said to Balak, Stand by your burnt offering, and I will go. Perhaps the Eternal will come to meet me, and whatsoever he shows me, I will tell you. And he went to an high place. So he worships God on one hand and says, I'll do what you say. And then he goes to the altar of Balaam and offers a sacrifice there with Balak to Satan. He's playing both ends against the middle. This can get dangerous at some point. Already was, had the angel there said, I'll kill you. Uh, <clears throat> for, and God met Balaam. And, you know, Balaam wanted that. And he said to him, I have prepared seven altars, and I have uh, offered upon every altar a bullock and a ram. And the Eternal put a word into Balaam's mouth and said, Return to Balak, and thus you shall speak. So God tells him, this is what I want you to say to him. Now, Balaam still is not truly repentant in serving God. But he's willing to take the message. And he returned to him, and lo, he stood by his burnt sacrifice, he and all the people of Moab. And he took up his parable and said, Balak, the king of Moab, has brought me from Aram out of the mountains of the east, saying, Come, curse me, Jacob, and come, defy Israel. So he puts the plot and the plan right out in the open. How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? Or how shall I defy whom the Eternal has not defiled? Now that sounds like pretty good words. For from the top of the rocks I see him, and from the hills I behold him. <laughs> he didn't tell the whole story, and I talked to my donkey about him. Lo, the people shall dwell alone and shall not be reckoned among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob and the number of the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous, and let my last end be like his. Pretty strong words. Is it true repentance? Is he really speaking for God here? And Balak said to Balaam, What have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies, and behold, you have blessed them altogether. Well, Balaam has not played his last card yet. He's still a hypocrite. And he answered and said, Must I not take heed to speak that which the eternal has put in my mouth? He said, You know, how can I, how can I argue with this? I told you, 
I'll only speak what God said, and this is what He told me to say, so I'm telling you. He's a little afraid of Balak. He's a little afraid of Satan. And he also has a certain amount of fear of God. And Balak said to him, Come, I pray you with me to another place from where you may see them. You shall see but the utmost part of them, and you shall not see them all. And curse me them from there. So he said, I'm not going to make you curse the whole bunch, but I'll just show you part of them. At least curse those. Then maybe it'll spread, I think was what his thinking was. And he brought him to the field of Zophim, to the top of Pisgah, and built seven altars, and offered a bullock, a ram, on every altar. And he said to Balak, Stand here by your burnt offering while I meet the Eternal yonder. And the Eternal met Balaam again, and put a word in his mouth, and said, Go again to Balak, and say this. And when he came to him, behold, he stood by his burnt offering, and the princes of Moab with him. And Balak said to him, What has the Eternal spoken? Now, this is interesting. He took up his parable and said, Rise up, Balak, and hear. Hearken to me, you son of Zippor. All right, here's what God had to say, he says. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and shall he not do it? Or has he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Now, those are true things about God, aren't they? Someone can come and be an angel of light, Christ said. Even Satan's angels, or his demons, or his ministers, can come as angels of light, and what they have to say sounds good. But there's always a twist. They can quote scripture, and yet it's a little out of context or skewed somewhat. Even as Satan approached Christ himself after the 40 days of fasting and quoted Scripture directly, but it had his own twist behind it. And as long as we twist it a bit or misuse it or take it out of context, then it isn't God's Word anymore. It's Word that is twisted into Satan's way. That we must be very, very careful of. Anyway, verse 20, Behold, I have received commandments to bless, and he is blessed. And I cannot reverse it. God said he's going to bless Israel, and he's done it. How am I going to change that? He's using reasoning here with Balak. He has not beheld iniquity in Jacob, neither has he seen perverseness in Israel. The eternal is God, his God is with him, and the shout of the king is among them. Now, read between the lines. Here he's speaking as if he's honoring and extolling God, and yet he is saying he has not beheld iniquity in Jacob, neither has he seen perverseness in Israel. He is sending a message. He is saying, if you will cause Israel to sin, that's the way to get God to curse them. So he is saying, I give credit and honor to God. He won't lie. He'll do what he says. And Balak, or Balaam knew that God had told Israel, if you will obey me, I will bless you. If you sin against me, I will curse you. 
So he's telling Balak, hey, I have to honor what God said or he's going to kill me. He already said he would. But if you can cause Israel to sin and God sees perverseness in them, hey, you got what you want. Put it here. Pay me. I'm telling you how to get this curse done. Now, is this a good and evil man or not? Good or evil can masquerade as good. That is why God tries our hearts, watches our every step, watches what we think, because he will judge our hearts. You can't always go by what someone is openly saying or doing. Only God knows the heart. And he is trying our hearts now. Balaam had an opportunity to repent and truly worship God instead of just giving him lip service and still doing what he wanted done. I've done that. Have you done that? We all do it. We still do it. He'll start talking about the church in the New Testament and use this story. Therefore, we need to listen carefully to this story because God compares the Latter-day Church to this story. <clears throat> Verse 21, He has not beheld iniquity in Jacob or seen perverseness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him, and the shout of the king is among them. <clears throat> God brought them out of Egypt. He has, as it were, the strength of a unicorn. Now, God is going to use Balaam, even though God, or Balaam is trying to use God. God is going to use Balaam at this point to deliver a message to the Moabite king. Unwittingly and unthinkingly, Balaam falls into God's purposes, even as Nebuchadnezzar and Cyrus and others have. <laughs> Verse 23, Surely there is no enchantment against Jacob, neither is there any divination against Israel. According to this time, it shall be said of Jacob and of Israel, What has God worked? It's an amazing thing God has done with Israel. See this, Balak? God finds no perverseness there. There is a message. Behold, the people shall rise up as a great lion and lift up himself as a young lion, he shall not lie down until he eat of the prey and drink the blood of the slain. And Balak said to Balaam, Neither curse them at all, nor bless them at all. Man, if you're going to tell me these things about God, I guess you better just keep your mouth shut, Balaam. But Balaam answered and said to Balak, Told not I you, saying, All that the Eternal speaks, that I must do. So he's coppering his bets again. He still wants his money, but he's still referring to God in a good way. And Balak said to Balaam, Come, I pray you, I will bring you into another place. Perhaps it will please God that you may curse me them from there. So he's not done trying. He said, well, just be neutral. Don't bless or curse them at all. Oh, man, i still got this problem, though. Come over here with me. Let's talk some more. Let's get this figured out. And Balak brought Balaam under the top of Peor that looked toward 
Jeshimon. And Balaam said to Balak, Build me here seven altars, so he's going to have to do another animal sacrifice. And they did. Chapter 24, And when Balaam saw that it pleased the Eternal to bless Israel, he went not, as at other times, to seek for enchantments, but he set his face toward the wilderness. So he didn't go to Satan at this point. <laughs> that hasn't really done me any good either, has it? Does it do us any good to go to Satan's way in this society and culture that Satan has built around us? No, it doesn't do us a bit of good. So Balaam lifted up his eyes and he saw Israel abiding in his tents according to their tribes, and the Spirit of God came upon him. So this time he didn't go to Satan. He went directly out into the wilderness, and there God encountered him again. And he took up his parable and said, Balaam the son of Beor has said, and the man whose eyes are open has said, He has said, which heard the words of God, which saw the vision of the Almighty, falling into a trance, but having his eyes open. Now here God is referred to as the Almighty. This is getting more and more serious because it was the Lord, it was Satan and the enchantments. Now suddenly he's raising the ante, the Almighty, a term God did not always use for himself as we saw before, but introduced himself to Abraham as. <coughs> And here's what he saw. How goodly are your tents, O Jacob, and your tabernacles, O Israel. As the valleys are they spread forth, as gardens by the riverside, as the trees of Ligalos, which the Eternal has planted, and as cedar trees beside the waters. He shall pour the water out of his buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters, and his king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. God brought him forth out of Egypt. He has, as it were, the strength of a unicorn. He shall eat up the nations, his enemies. Now bring that forward. God said he's going to make his people in the end time a new sharp threshing instrument and that they will destroy and scatter and shred the nations and shall break their bones and pierce them through with his arrows, with God's arrows. Plagues, all kinds of problems, water turned to blood, etc., etc., will again happen. <clears throat> he couched, he lay down as a lion, and as a great lion. Who shall stir him up? Blessed is he that blesses you, and cursed is he that curses you. And Balak's anger was kindled against Balaam, and he smote his hands together. Oh, man, why do you keep doing this? <clears throat> I'm trying to pay you an honor everywhere I take you, and we talk about it again. It just gets worse. And Balaam even really laid it on this time, didn't he? And he said the things that God wanted him to say about God being the Almighty. See, there is a contention here between Satan and God and who is the mighty and who is not. So God takes it to this level as his spirit comes upon Balaam to cause him to say these things. Now, Balak's getting about as angry as Balaam was at his donkey. <clears throat> you bless them these three times. Verse 11, therefore now flee you to your place. I've 
cracked my hands together. Now I'm going to grab a sword. You better get out of here. I thought to promote you to great honor, but lo, the Eternal has kept you back from honor. So he's saying, that God is holding you back from getting the pay that you want. And Balaam said to Balak, Spake I not also to your messengers, whom you sent to me, saying, If Balak would give me his house full of silver and gold, I cannot go beyond the commandment of the Eternal to do either good or bad of my own mind. But what the Eternal says, that will I speak. Didn't I tell you all along that's the way it was going to be? <clears throat> I think we'll find that Balaam was only holding out for more and more money and more and more honor. He didn't really intend to go God's way. I've seen people in the church do that. Some Edomites who were in there, and you know who they are from the past. They said they would follow God. They said they would be evangelists or even apostles of God. They used God's name very strongly while they brought in false doctrine and led God's people astray and into the arms of Satan. Anyway, verse 14, And now, behold, I go to my people. Come, therefore, and I will advertise you what this people shall do to your people in the latter days. So the Almighty God is going to deliver now a message to Moab about the curse that is going to come on them because of Israel when this king had wanted the curse to come on Israel. So this thing is now going to turn completely around. <clears throat> Who is the Almighty? God works in mysterious ways His wonders to perform. And this is one of the most mysterious stories in the entire Bible. God draws it down to the latter days. And He took up His parable and He said, Balaam the son of Beor has said... And the men whose eyes are open has said, He has said, which heard the words of God and knew the knowledge of the Most High. Almighty and Most High are synonymous. Almighty and Most High. Which saw the vision of the Almighty falling into a trance but having his eyes open. So God gave him a message to relay. I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not near. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab, and destroy all the children of Sheth. And Edom shall be a possession. Seir also shall be a possession for his enemies. And Israel shall do valiantly. Now, if you read the end-time prophecies about Edom and Mount Seir, which is where Edom was, and of Moab and so on, in Isaiah, Jeremiah, wherever you find them, Obadiah, these things will be said. So this is an early prophecy that was reiterated by the major prophets and the minor prophets later on. Out of Jacob shall come he that shall have dominion, and shall destroy him that remains of the city. And when he looked on Amalek, he took up his parable and said, Amalek was the first of the nations, but his latter end shall be that he perish forever. 
And he looked upon the Kenites and took up his parable and said, Strong is your dwelling place, and you put your nest in a rock. Now, the Kenites had never been known to live up in the rocks and in the mountains. They'd been plains people. Nevertheless, the Kenite shall be wasted until Asher shall carry you away captive. There are people today who see some of what is coming, and they say, we're going to flee to our little hideaway up in the rocks and in the mountains, and we'll be safe there. We'll have our guns and our grub, and everything will be fine with us. Want to bet? And he took up his parable and said, Alas, who shall live when God does this? Now this is a prophecy of the latter days. And God uses the term the Most High and the Almighty in context with this end time prophecy. So he said, I am going to show who is the Most High. I am going to show who is truly the Almighty. And when I am done, every eye, every ear will know, and every knee will bow to me. God is using himself as the Almighty with great purpose in this story. Because it is a story that spreads from Israel about to go into the promised land to Israel today about to go into the promised land, the millennium, very shortly, but they aren't ready yet. And God is going to begin to use a small group of Israel known as spiritual Israel, comprised of all peoples from all corners of the earth, to come to show that He is the Almighty, and the world is going to reject them, And then God is going to turn loose all kinds of power and plagues upon this earth to prove that He is the Almighty. He won't just say it. He's going to use you and me and others in the next little while to show it by the way that we live and by the way that He protects us and blesses us. And the world will reject it. And then he will bring horrible destruction such as has never been until every knee bows. This is an all-encompassing prophecy to the very end of this age. Who shall live when God does this? Not very many in the latter days. Now, That's pretty much the end of that story, except what happened afterward. Chapter 25. And Israel abode in Shittim. Kind of an interesting word right there. Kind of a slang for today. But that's kind of where they went. And the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. Now did Balak get the message that Balaam had sent him, God will not punish these people unless they sin. So, it appears, Balak sent the girls of Moab and said, go marry them, we'll, we'll fix it. Balaam told us how to do this. So they committed whoredom with the daughters of Moab, and they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods. 
Now, did not God say of Solomon it was the, the idol-worshipping women that led you astray? This is something that has been used over and over again throughout history to teach Israel to serve Satan instead of God. Balak got the message. And the people did eat <clears throat> and bowed down to their gods. And Israel joined himself to Baal Peor, and the anger of the Eternal was kindled against Israel. So Israel had been brought out to obey God, and here they were subverted by Balak through Balaam to turn to false gods, just as the church was subverted to go back to the vomit that they had come out of, rather than continuing and growing in righteousness to be what God wanted us to be. And now he is calling upon a few to repent so that they might serve God and be a witness and an example <clears throat> to the world here in these latter days. But very few are listening. Now let's go to Second Peter 2, and I'll show you what the take of the New Testament ministry was on Balaam. Because it could be a little confusing if you didn't understand what was going on. So let's go to Second Peter. Now I don't know whether Peter and Jude and John <clears throat> were able to put the whole story together out of the book of Numbers and Deuteronomy, or whether Christ may have explained to them more what occurred, but here is what they had to say about it, and God included it in Scripture. Now, in Second Peter, <clears throat> uh, he is talking in chapter 2 about false prophets among the people, and said there will be false prophets among you who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them. So even though they'll use the name of Christ, they will deny him by their actions and by their doctrines and their teachings. So that would happen among you. And this was written not just for that church then, because he could preach to them then. It was written for us. Peter's dead, but his words are here for us. Because it does say that in the end time these things will happen. Paul said it in 2 Thessalonians. A man will stand in the temple of God, claiming to be bigger than the Almighty, in essence. <clears throat> so he said, be careful. Chapter, verse 10, chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government, presumptuous are they, self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Have you and I ever done that? We probably all have at one time or another when we began to despise the Armstrongs and then we despised the Tkachas, although some followed everything they said. But we need to be very, very careful. We need to be very careful about the way we speak even of those authorities out in the world. Because God said He put over the kingdoms the basis of men, Daniel 4.16 I think it is and that they are his emissaries to do what he wants done. <clears throat> it would not have been wise to speak against Balaam in that day. 
because God was using Balaam for his purposes, even though Balaam thought he was using God. <coughs> so be careful. We are taught in America that it's, we can say anything about anybody we want. We have freedom of speech. It's getting where we don't, but God limits our speech, does he not? God limits what we say. Hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil, God says. So, if we say we will worship God, then we do not speak evil, do we? Oh, wow. You put it like that, that's a little different. No, the freedoms that we claim to have in America were about bad government, because that's what we were seeking to get away from. So there is a time to recognize evil and not follow it. But as Christians, we are told to be very careful what we say, because God said he puts over the kingdoms the basest of men, and they are his servants to do what he wants done. Be careful what we say about them. In or out of God's church. <clears throat> anyway, he says, these people will feast with you, verse 13. They'll be part of the church. Verse 14, having eyes full of adultery, and they cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls, not stable spiritually. They got all this negativity running through their mind, and all the sin that they are not willing to work at controlling they have covetous practices, cursed children, which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bosar, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but was rebuked for his iniquity, the dumbass speaking with man's voice, forbade the madness of the prophets. These are wells without water. Clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lusts of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escaped from them who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption, for whom a man is overcome of the same as he brought into bondage. For if they have escaped the pollutions of the world, the society, the culture, through the knowledge of the eternal and Savior, Emmanuel the Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. We came out of this world and out of Protestantism, and then we had leaders come into the church who took us right back there. And the end is going to be worse than the beginning. Even those who claim to be following Herbert Armstrong are allowing all kinds of things of this world to creep back into the lives of the people and not speaking out against it. In many cases, they've gone back to makeup, painting the face and the fingers and the toes and 
whatever else they want to paint. Maybe they paint their behinds, I don't know. They go right back to what we came out of. That which tried to be reintroduced, the God that Herbert Armstrong said, over my dead body they'll paint themselves again. And as soon as his body was dead, that was, I think, the second thing they changed back to. And now they claim to be churches of God, and they've got painted ladies all over the place, jacking themselves up to try to be taller than men, tinkling with their feet as they go, as Isaiah 3 says, click, 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 click as they walk to draw attention to their legs and their butts. And we call it godly. Arousing lust and wantonness and leading those who have escaped the world right back into it. We need to be careful. We need to dress modestly. We don't need to dress and paint ourselves the way the world and the churches of God, quote unquote, do today. God is very angry with the major churches of God out there. And three big churches are going to fall in one month because they are allowing these things to creep back into the church and not speaking out against them. God does not want us to go back that way. Take heed, Peter says, that we don't go the way of Balaam who were led back into the way of Satan, of lust, of, of adultery, of fornication, of loose morals, of lying, cheating, and stealing, destroying the morality of the people. And it is happening in the churches of God. Is it going to happen in this church of God? Or will we guard against it? There is a warning here. There are those who, for money, will entangle us again in this work. And some of those churches out there are all about numbers of people and money, whether they'll admit it or not. We're counseled not to go there. All right, there's Peter's take on it. Let's go to Jude. Here Jude says in verse 3, I exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. Now we were given a great deal of truth under Herbert Armstrong. It was told us that we should keep God's ways, His holy days, His Sabbath, trust Him in faith and live in faith. And then those came along who took us the other direction. Don't walk in faith. Grace, grace, grace. It's all you have to worry about. And they turn the grace of God into lawlessness, verse 4, denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it really boils down to. In other words, they're going back the way of Satan and they're denying Almighty God. He compares it to Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 11, Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, killed his brother, and run greedily after the error of Balaam for reward. 
willing to cast aside the truth of God for reward. Some of them even say, well, you can work on the Sabbath if you have to because you've got to make a living for your family. They find all kinds of justifications for watering down the things of God. And perished in the gainsaying of Korah, of rebellion, of I will do it my way. These are spots in your feasts of love, where they feast, or when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear, clouds they are without water. What good is a cloud if there's no water in it? Doesn't rain, doesn't do you much good. Carried about of winds, just blown here and there, trees whose fruit withers without fruit, twice dead. Not only are they going to die once, they're going to die an eternal death. Plucked up by the roots. He compares them to even the fallen angels. Because if you rebel against God's way, that's the way it's going to come down. All right, let's go to Revelation 2. Here he's speaking of one of the end-time churches. <clears throat> Here, let's see, chapter 2, verse uh, 14. I have a few things against you. Because you have there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, <clears throat> who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit fornication. So here he tells you that the thing that Balaam was saying there was double talk after all. He was saying the right thing that God had said, but he had a hidden meaning behind it all. And he was saying, if you will teach these people to sin, then God will curse them. So he's saying, I won't curse him, pay me anyway, but here's how you go about it, Balak. Here's how to get what you want done, done. So then they sent the daughters there to teach them to fornicate. What have we got going in on our nation today? It's okay. Sexual sins are acceptable of all kinds, even gay, which is unnatural entirely. And to commit or, or to eat things sacrificed to idols. Now, nobody in the church today teaches anybody to eat things sacrificed to idols, do they? We don't even have the animal sacrifices around in the church. How could that be? Nobody does that. Sure they do. What does eat mean? It means to take in. And what does that which you take into your body through your mouth do? It goes into your digestive system, and from there it is sent throughout all your body. <clears throat> so those things which we take in, those things that we partake of, if you will, teach us to worship idols to sacrifice to idols. Almost everything in this culture and society around us that is there because Satan the devil deceived the whole world and has led the world into every kind of sin there is. And if you sin, you're worshiping your father the devil who's the father of liars and is the god of this world. Well, Satan has very cleverly designed a society and he has even cleverly designed religions 
to appear as if they are of God while they truly are of Satan. So people who are Methodists and Mormons and Baptists and so on think that they are the children of God and they worship they know not what. Now, they're very sincere people. I'm not saying they're not. In many cases, they're very good and even moral people. But they worship on Sunday and almost everything they do is contrary to the Bible itself. They have their own book, many of them that they follow, it isn't this book. They're decent people. They're nice people. But they don't know God. I'm not here to condemn them. I don't mean it that way. I mean, though, that if we follow the ways of this world and we partake of those things that Satan has put there, which he has made very alluring, very desirable, they make the human mind and emotions want that. So it's easy to go there. We are so easily seduced by Satan, it's amazing. And we'll find a justification for watching this movie or that or whatever, because, well, it's about good and evil and good will triumph, or however you want to live in Shittim. That's where Israel went. Can we rise above that? Or are we like Balaam? Do we watch for entertainment, those things which God says are sinful? If we do, we're following the way of Balaam and worshiping the wrong God instead of the Almighty God. That's what this all boils down to. The story of Balaam is very much a now story of today. It's about the church of God today. It's about how much hypocrisy we have within ourselves and how we use the name of God and say, I will follow God, and yet we still incorporate and go the way of Satan the devil in the society and the culture that he has created for us, that he has put there to allure us and pull us away just as Balak took Balaam's advice and sent the daughters of Moab to marry and fornicate with the Israelites and then to bring them in and get them to follow the wrong way. Has Satan designed a society around us that is designed to pull us away from God and cause us to spend our time, our energy, our minds, our emotions on things that they should not be on? That, I think, is quite self-evident. <clears throat> the only question, then, that remains is how much do we get sucked into the way of Balaam or Satan? Who is almighty, Satan or God? How long will we halt between two opinions? How long will we try to straddle the fence? How quickly will we repent of our wrong attitudes and of the things and the entertainments of this world that speak of fornication and of adultery and of a drug culture and of everything that is wrong 
that is perpetuated and exalted in our music, in our movies, in our televisions, on our computers, and on the streets that we walk. Will we serve God, or will we serve Baal? That is the question.